Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Greetings, fans of the esoteric, and welcome to Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer. Chapter what? That's That's what it's called, isn't it? Not even what. No. Just W-H-A. I think that's that's sort of... I can't believe it. I can't believe it so much I can't complete the word. A a, a one-syllable word. That's how shocked you are. What? Yes. Very good. Oh, I start this one, don't I? Yes. This one's all dried up. Bernard says, putting the lid back on the permanent marker and lobbing it in the waste paper bin. It hits with a satisfying clunk, and I give him a little round of applause. Bernard bows and takes another one out of the packet, turning back to the flip chart, where he's written the title, Who Done It? in red pen at the top of the first page. Bernard brought the flip chart down from our daughter's room a few minutes ago. She bought it so that she could have brainstorming sessions when revising her A-levels, and some of the pages still have her brainstorms emblazoned across them. These mainly consist of line drawings of cocks and balls. I push my glasses up my nose and squint at the flip chart. I'm not used to wearing them, but I feel it's necessary in the circumstances. I've even swapped to a more subdued turban in dark grey velvet and black crystals to fit the business-like vibe. All right, yes, a peacock feather might be sticking out of the back of it, but I'm not removing it. There's a fine line between business magenta and cringing introvert magenta, and I'd rather not cross it, thank you. There's something very normal and calming about the little cocks and balls. Their bendy jauntiness goes some way to dispelling the horror of today's activities. I even find myself nodding off slightly, lulled by the warmth and quiet of the living room. Of course, this illusory piece is compounded by the fact that there aren't any ghosts of murdered women in the room. Yep, Gaynor is no longer with us. I don't know where she's gone either. She's not exactly a chatterbox, but she was very quiet at the sight of her murder, understandable of course, and then when we got home, I realised she hadn't hitched a ride in the car with us. Maybe she's moved on to the other side. I wish my ex-husband had buggered off that easily. That's referring to my first book. Yes, which uh, hopefully people will have listened to. Yes, yes. Anyway, current husband is beavering away, the tip of his tongue sticking out of his mouth as he writes at the awkward angle inflicted by the slope of the board. The subheading, Murderer! exclamation mark, emerges from the marker pen's nib, followed by a series of numbers down the left-hand side. I watch quietly, thinking how this sort of thing seems more dynamic on the telly. One of my bum cheeks is even going numb, as if in judgement. Having finished the numbers, Bernard comes to join Dave, asleep on my lap, and I on the sofa. We stare at the mostly blank page for a while. A small cock and balls in the upper right-hand corner of the page is a dotted pee-pee line coming from the third eye, as it were. The P leads quite neatly to the last letter of who done it, as if the cock itself has spelled the word out with a stream of urine, perhaps in a snowbank. Although as it's written in red pen, that would suggest terrible cystitis. I wince in sympathy. Gosh, I'm really going off the point here, aren't I? You really are. This is an extraordinary level of tangential information here. (laughs) Very impressive. No one does tangents like you, my dear. Tantric tangents. Yes. What do we know about the murderer? Bernard suddenly asks, and I jump, torn from my reverie. Before I can contribute, he leaps up and heads back to the board. 
one. He persists, tapping the number with his pen. What's the first thing you learned about him? Well, he was stepping Sandra, and she knew him by the name Bob. Bernard stops. He was what? He asks, flabbergasted. Did the police tell you that? Or did Dave say that back at the house? Why didn't you mention it? Oops. That was the bit I didn't get around to explaining. And of course, telling him about Bobo will lead to explaining about the dogs in general, which will necessitate me explaining all the previous crimes, which will reveal I've been in contact with the police for almost a whole year. Shit. Oh yes, I say, as casually as possible. Now would be a good time to fill you in on a few background details. Bernard gives me a hard look. Go on. I smile queasily. I told you the bulk of it earlier, but Gaynor arrived before I could finish. Bernard comes and sits next to me. Go on. He says again. So I do. I watch Bernard's face as I speak. I'd describe it as slowly stiffening. When I finish, I lean in and wrap my arms around him. I'm sorry I didn't tell you, I whisper. He feels unresponsive in my arms. I break away. I was trying to protect you. I didn't want you to worry. Bernard's lips are a straight line of disappointment and anger, and he's talking out of it as if opening his mouth any wider would release the dragon. You better do that with your mouth, Bernard. Never do that again, please. No, no, you moved your mouth too much. Never do that again, please. That's better. His voice has an edge I don't think I've heard before. I nod. Do you still want to do this? I ask, voice wobbling, because I think it might be better to let Inspector Eldris get on with it. I desperately want things to get back to normal. I just want to watch episode 58 of an American drama serial with my husband. But Bernard shakes his head, his face grim. Absolutely not. Now that I know... He pauses and scratches at his stubble. He's forgotten he's still holding the pen, so he now has red ink on his jaw. Don't you think it's a bit of a coincidence that a man who has been murdering psychics was bonking one of your oldest clients? My blood freezes. I suppose so, I squeak, feeling foolish. I repeat what I'd said to Eldris, realising how weak it must have sounded to the detective. But sometimes a coincidence is just a coincidence. Bernard cocks a doubtful eyebrow. What is wrong with me? I've only ever considered how incriminating Sandra's involvement might appear to the police. I hadn't thought that it might be, what, a deliberate attempt by the killer to get close to me? Maybe it hadn't occurred to me because I hadn't wanted it to. Maybe I knew deep down. Maybe I'm on his murder list. Bernard and I jerk as a scream rips through the hush, redolent of a baby's cry, but angrier, shriller, more tortured. I spin round to look out of the window behind the sofa, searching the darkness of the street beyond from whence the sound came. What was that? I croak, mouth dry. I don't know, whispers Bernard. The thought briefly occurs that the sound comes from me. That it's the oral manifestation of my fear, my guilt, my damned stupidity, taken physical form and seeking its mother. The shriek comes again, repeated in short bursts. Maybe you should do it, Bernard, because it's hard to imagine, isn't it? <coughs> there we go. Lurching ecstatically from sleep, Dave springs from his basket. Fox! Fox, 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 fox. Dave cries, running to the door, staccato barks ricocheting from his throat. Oh, I collapse back against the cushions. Fox! It's just a bloody fox, I relay to Bernard, who also deflates with relief. 
Oh, yes, because they do sound like screaming Vixens, it's incredibly human, isn't yes, it? It's, it's extraordinary. terrifying. Very disturbing if it happens in the middle of the night. Reflexively, I listen closer with my third ear, as I'll now call it, and hear that the fox is chatting up another fox in an unspeakably vulgar fashion, the like of which would probably be heard at any Yates Wine Lodge on a Saturday night. Fox or not, the evening normally ends with someone bent over a bin. How do you feel about checking into a hotel tonight? Bernard asks grimly. I'd feel happier if we disappeared for a while. Oh, yes. I nod vigorously, but then realise, oh, what would we do with Dave? No, no hotel will have him. Damn it. Bernard sighs and draws pen across his face again. We could leave him with a neighbour. He stops and clicks his fingers in classic aha fashion. Aha, he says. The office. We could stay there. They won't mind if we bring Dave. I perk up. This isn't as awful an idea as it might seem. The office is a mansion house in Potter's Bar. I've never been there, but Bernard told me all about it. Apparently, it used to be an asylum back in the day, before being bought by Roger's company and converted into office space. A few nights in an old asylum, how could that possibly go wrong? We can't snooze on office chairs, Bernard. We wouldn't have to. Bernard explains, excited. The entire top floor is residential. Roger puts the clients there when they visit. It's very posh, actually. Oh, I coo. We could treat this as a mini break. Will Roger be okay with us using it? Bernard takes his phone from his pocket. Only one way to find out. I wait impatiently as Bernard calls Roger, my heart fluttering nervously in my chest. I'm desperate to get out of the house, even though I'm still having problems accepting I might be in danger. That sort of thing only happens to other people, doesn't it? Roger, it's me, Bernard. Bernard winces as Roger responds at his usual volume. I can hear the brain burk even from this distance. I've got a favour to ask. Bernard continues. Our house has been uh, uh, damaged by fire. Yes, fire. Uh, it hasn't entirely burnt down, but it's currently unlivable. Hmm? Oh, oh uh, it was a wire, a burst wire. Yes, something like that anyway. It's not clear yet. I know, terrible. Yes, she's very shaken up. The house is full of fumes and, and we can't stay. We'd check into a hotel, but we, we have a dog. There's a longer pause during which Roger rattles on for a bit. After a while, Bernard looks over at me with raised eyebrows and does the thumbs up gesture. Oh. He finally says. I, I was just about to ask you that. Thank you, Roger. Are you sure that'd be all right? It's terribly good of you to offer. We'd only need it for a little while until we could get ourselves sorted. And you wouldn't mind Dave being there? Yes, uh, Dave is the dog. Great. Oh, you're a lifesaver. Christ, he might literally be a lifesaver as well. I'll have to be more tolerant of the jumped-up twerp next time I see him. After a couple more minutes, arranging the details and general rhubarbing, Bernard comes off the phone. Well, we'd better get packing. Are we going tonight, I ask, dubiously. Bernard nods in a very decisive manner, his set face suggesting he will brook no arguments. Yes, it's for the best. Can't we go tomorrow? Then I'll have time to... No. He says sternly. Bernard might be wearing an old WWF jumper with a panda on it, but there's nothing soft and cuddly about him right now. You've been protecting me for the best part of a year, Magenta. He continues, gripping my arms. And not in a way I'm very happy about. Now it's my turn to protect you. So we're going to do what I want for a while, what I decide is best. And my gut is saying we should get the hell out of here to a place I can keep an eye on you. So get yourself upstairs, woman, and get packing. I stand up, legs and lower lip wobbling. 
If you say so, Bernie. I say, eyes cast downwards. I walk slowly towards the door, giving his ass a good slap as I pass, before scurrying up the stairs. Because four, eh? Eh? Four! Gosh. Good, good end of chapter there. Yes, yeah, pretty good. In fact, maybe we should leave it there, Magenta. Maybe, yeah, we, maybe should, we, we probably should. I uh, do like it when you occasionally get all bossy. Well, I don't I, like it if it's too much, mind. Uh, all right, well, it's, I, it's I, about I, a balance, isn't it? Uh, okay, Life is about balance. Yes, well, I'll I'll try and uh, tread the line uh, carefully. Good. Right, we'll, we'll we'll see you later, listeners. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. It's the last days of summer, 1920. Do you know where your children are? They should be playing outside. Come on, Chelsea. Mima says we're not allowed to go to this house. We're not even supposed to be on this side of town. Doing their chores. Why aren't these chicken coops clean? Please, Father. I'll be good. I'll be- <laughs> ah! Oh, God! <laughs> Obeying their parents. You look me right in the eyes and tell me you didn't steal this bike. Ma, no, I've been helping Mr. Diamond, all right? Lord, don't tell me my son is working at a speakeasy. Exploring their feelings. Let's go over to the apple tree. Gosh, (laughs) okay. But unfortunately for these young fools, the neighborhood bully has other plans. Tonight, you are going to meet me out in front of the old Barnaker house. Howling house? Why? <laughs> now, a Boy Scout, a tag-along, a doormat, and a delinquent will dare to spend the night in the most haunted estate in Arkham. Will they survive to see the sunrise, or will they succumb to the hunger of Howling House? You're going to die What is that thing? Is this, is this the witch's library? I'm gonna kill you! Not tonight! Roger, make him stop! No! You watch! Run away, little ones! I'm so hungry! Listen to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's award-winning season, Night at Howling House. The complete story, available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and at CthulhuMystery.com. All the, all the outs and free, all the outs and free. <laughs>